You guys ready? Yeah. Ready? Yeah. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 49 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm the webs programmer. I'm Sam, and I make pictures. Today is May 11th, 2016, and before we get started, we have a warning. Anything can happen on this show, there will be profanity for sure. Guaranteed. Probably a lot of other just truly awful, horrible things. Uh, So if you are young or a person, go away. Okay, so what's in the news for this week, guys? Well, we've been doing a lot of of R&D, as it's called, as it's referred to. What does that stand for? Uh... What does R&D stand for? Uh, I think it's I, I think know. it's like research and dragons. I think something about dragons. I'm pretty Raisins sure. Raisins and dragons. And uh, all of us are kind of in a, in a bit of an educational mode trying to figure out how exactly to pull off what it is that we have planned for down the road. Um, because we always want to do sort of more interesting stuff going forward. And that's either, you know, within everybody's own solo domain. So in my case, you know, making better art with better animations or within like a general studio domain that one of us is responsible for. So in Adam's case, that'll be figuring out Node.js and doing server stuff, and then oh, Seth has yeah. to figure out how to make multiplayer go. So we're all kind of hopping around on that, doing a lot of reading, doing a lot of thinking. Yeah, if you're always doing the same thing, or what you're always comfortable doing, then it's super boring. And as we discussed last week, you die fast. Yeah. So yep. we got to we gotta always keep it fresh. And I just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about what makes multiplayer such an interesting problem. Well, yeah, people are uh, constantly are asking us, why don't I just make Crashlands multiplayer? Yeah, well, here's here's why not. Uh, so we've been we've been kind of playing around with networking for the prototype for our next game. And when you make a single player game, there's a lot of really straightforward stuff that you can do. For example, if you want a character to walk 10 pixels forwards, uh, you just, you know, do this like Y plus equals 10. And then boom, that step, the character now is 10 pixels ahead and everything in the game knows where that character is. But if you're doing multiplayer, then you actually have several unique versions of the game running on everybody's computers, and you can't just move that character. You have to tell a server that you want to move the character, um, and then that character has to be moved on everybody's machine at the same time. And then you have to account for things like uh, you maybe you have a 200 millisecond ping, and if an enemy was you know throwing a bomb at that location and that person would have dodged it with two tenths of a second to spare how do you make sure that they do dodge it even though you know they have a two tenths of a second delay in communicating with the server right or what if a command gets sent to the server and and that command actually doesn't make it you know there's there's that idea of dropping packets um And so even something really, really simple, like having a character just walk around or walk across the screen, all of a sudden becomes this really, really complicated uh, technical problem that has lots of layers and just tons of different ways that things can go wrong. So you actually spend most of your time developing these kinds of fail-safe kinds of things. You know, it almost reminds me of like the various problems that come into play whenever you conceive of time travel as a system. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) as, As soon as that element enters in where everyone's not operating on the same time scale, then then stuff just gets really weird. And I, I mean, I've also had this with, uh, I read this story, there's a psych story about this woman who's 
She got hit in the head really, really hard, of course, as, as many of these psych stories start. That is uh, how they all begin. And uh, <laughs> some part of her brain that was responsible for stitching together events uh, over time was sort of you know, askew after this or turned off. And so as a result, so you, this concept of like having a lag or a frame rate, uh, she no longer viewed things, even though she'd be sitting there like watching a road, for example, uh, cars wouldn't, you know, smoothly barrel down them. It was like every, uh, like, you know, 40 steps, so to speak, every 40 frames or whatever, the car would jump between places. And every so often when I'm crossing the road or when I'm driving the car, I think about this and I'm like, what if right now I'm lagging? Because if I am, right. I'm going to die so hard. You know? <laughs> you know? well, it, it is Real the case that lag. there's a very yeah. brief, you know, there's a very brief lag between the signal going from your eyeballs into the back of your brain and then getting processed into an image. It's almost instantaneous, yeah. but, you know, it's, it's not a quite. few. I think it's a few milliseconds. Yeah, it's it's very fast. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so so it, this idea of lag and lost information and stuff turns normally really easy things into really complicated things. And it makes it much more necessary to design a game. And we have a tendency to iterate. We don't really do a lot of upfront planning, but this, you know, this networking stuff makes it much more difficult to modify existing game systems. Um, so now we have to actually think about stuff, I guess. <laughs> well, I this know. is also my, my rising theory about why it is that most MMOs are actually kind of bad from a core gameplay standpoint, which is that... As we've discovered, it's pretty hard to to just sort of uh, it's it's very hard to just on paper design an experience that has the same feel that you're going for uh, theoretically. And so most of the time, at least for us, uh, we need to iterate towards it. And so if it's the case that as you're building building up systems to support that first idea, which is inevitably the worst one, right? Uh, and they become more and more sort of concrete and more heavy over time, then it seems to me like maybe there's just generally some design weight associated with multiplayer systems being added into a game. Sure. Right? Well, and MMOs in particular have the added technical problem where um, lag is pretty much guaranteed just because of the sheer number of people that are involved mm -hmm. connecting to the server. So that's why in uh, you know a game like World of Warcraft or Final Fantasy fourteen or whatever, there's... There's always uh, what is referred to as the global cooldown, which is you'll hit a button to use an ability and then there'll be a one and a half second delay before you can press another button to activate the next ability. And it makes everything move very slowly, you know, in combat and it makes it much more difficult to make an action oriented game, which I know Wildstar ran into a lot of trouble with Australian players. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Australian players basically considered the game unplayable because it it had the general vibe of something like World of Warcraft, but the combat was extremely action heavy and had a lot of you know aiming elements and that kind of stuff. Um, and with you know four hundred to six hundred millisecond ping, when you have like a one second charge up ability, and it's really important that you aim it to where the enemy actually is, uh, and you don't know where they are because they're like you're seeing them. They're six teleporting. Seconds. Yeah. Or a six tenths of a second <laughs> too too far in the past. Um, yeah, so so that really sort of crowded out a lot of uh, players from around the world. They so. didn't set up a server in Australia. I I guess not. I think they did it much later, like yeah. after everybody stopped. Well, playing. yeah, that's so. <laughs> that, that's another one of the problems, right? Is when you launch a game, you launch it for the world, and. And even if you try to restrict its its location, players will get at it. In, in yeah, they'll do it anyways. Anyway. <laughs> and so when you launch a game, it becomes global immediately. And if you don't already have the infrastructure in place for the multiplayer case to handle the fact that people are, you know, 20,000 miles, I guess 10,000 miles apart, uh, 
and to handle that extra latency, then people have a bad experience. And so you have to, it, it adds all these requirements just to the upfront design becomes much harder. The infrastructure you need to run the game becomes much yeah. more immense. And well, this kind of reminds me of when we, t- we talk a lot about how making the game is the easiest part of game development. And then there's like the business side and the marketing side and all this other stuff that is much, much harder. And I think with a multiplayer game, it's not really the game design itself that is the challenge. It's it's turning that idea into an enjoyable experience with all these technical hurdles, mm-hmm. you know. So, so that's kind of what what uh, that's the road that we're that we're what I want currently to going add down. on top of that. This it's all hard enough anyway, but then you add on top of it all these fucking hackers. Oh yeah, or. <laughs> <laughs> And, and like, I've got nothing against hacking as a thing to do, just like digging into software and trying to figure out how it works. I mean, that, that's fine. It's fun. It's a it's a good educational experience. But the problem is people use it to ruin the design Everything. of a game and to ruin other players' experience because games are bound to have a certain kind of difficulty. They're, they're designed, especially if they have in-game economies and stuff, they're designed to provide a certain kind of experience. And as soon as somebody comes in and breaks that thing, then it actually breaks the entire structure and concept of the game or can depending what on think, the game design. What I think is interesting about hacking is how how it's almost uh it's made so much more easy by the fact that people are anonymous. So there's there's there are social repercussions to cheating in a game in person, right? So like if somebody says, hey you want to play a game of chess and you just you're like sure and you just like whip out three queens out of your pocket and drop those on the board and you're like this is my this is my setup now i just added some queens to myself yeah, right uh people are like no and they just you're a dick now nobody wants to play chess with you <laughs> but if you're hacking online nobody can really stop you and nobody you know like nobody there's no social feedback well, but it's, on that so you can just keep but it's worse it. than that because because there is when people know that you're hacking the problem is that it's actually very especially the more complicated a game gets the more difficult it is to be able to determine if a person is hacking or just really good and uh, yeah and, and so that forces us as as the designers to to be sort of limited in how we're allowed to design the system because that system has to be able to detect cheating it just has to right and so that means we have to simplify things so that cheating becomes easier to detect potentially or it means we have to offload way more of the processing onto our own central servers so that everything has to go through us as a gatekeeper which adds a huge amount of infrastructure and R&D cost to us to actually put the game out and so anytime you hear and we talked about this in the past with piracy and stuff like the immediate effects of these things like I would generally agree there's it's this kind of weird thing where it seems like nothing bad happens when you do it but the sort of cascading consequences that affect you just fundamental game design are enormous I mean, just enormous. Yeah. It's the same thing with web development in general. And I've, and any web developer will agree, and it's certainly what I've been experiencing. Designing designing a web experience is actually very easy and very fun. But you don't, that's not what you spend your time doing. You don't spend your time coding up the cool web app you made. You spend your time coming up with every possible way that a person can break it to try to hack into your database and steal <laughs> all of your data and make sure that they can't do that. It's kind of a it's kind of an annoying reality of being a human, isn't it? That you just have yeah, to Yeah, everyone's trying to break and steal your shit all the time. <laughs> yep. You just need enough security to keep honest people honest. So well, anyway, if you if you if you are a hacker who tries to ruin game experiences for other people, uh, or no Fuck one, you, buddy. Fuck you and fuck Or your what's buddy. That, that those lizard <laughs> squad guys? Who I'm still not sure what their actual motive is, but anytime there's a major MMO launch, they DDoS the yeah, servers. they just break it because they're just assholes. There's but it's no... like, why? Because it doesn't, 
like people have already bought the game. It's not like they're stopping people from buying the game. They're literally just stopping people from playing it. So they're just hurting a bunch of people who want to play games, which is the yeah, weirdest thing. And, and the company that put, you know, five or whatever years into making this this product to try to get people to enjoy it. And then, yeah. It's weird. Ser- servers die. You know, people people take time off. Of, for some reason, people still take time off of work for MMO launches. The day of, uh, which is a bad the day. of. You should do it like which, five days later. It's really. Yeah. Always give an MMO launch, especially if it's a good one. You know, give right. it five days for the DDoS attacks to stop. And I'll probably also for. It's a really bad one because it probably doesn't have good architecture. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so also, uh, I have I have a confession to make, What's that? you guys. So this morning, I walked into Sam's place, and uh, I had my water bottle with me. And the last time I was here, Sam was like, oh, take off your shoes, which I normally don't do. Because he's been tracking but, leaves all up in my house. Yeah. God so I was like, I'll, so I, I'll, I'll, I'll make it a point this time to remember to take my shoes off. So... I come in the house, I bend down to take my shoes off, and I'm holding my water bottle tucked under my arm. And you poured water and everywhere? My, my water bottle is just open, and I just, like, poured <laughs> it everywhere. So I yell up to Sam, and I'm like, hey, you have a towel? I need to... I, I poured water all over the floor. Well, it turns out that was only half true, Sam. Oh, because, what? Because I poured half of the water into your left shoe. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Wait, I heard you giggling while you were <laughs> supposedly mopping this up. Uh, yeah, it turns out there wasn't that much to mop up because your shoe just absorbed. <laughs> I would call you a son of a bitch, but that doesn't apply to the situation. You twat. Uh, so anyway, that happened. Nice work. Uh, yeah, and otherwise we're going to we're going to Indie PopCon uh, June seventeenth and nineteenth. <laughs> oh, this is fun. So speaking of you know pouring water into people's shoes, so speaking of fuck up, <laughs> Seth was like, "Hey, we should uh, we're gonna need to check out that booking." And maybe add a room to it because we'll be having a, our fourth employee along, so we need another another hotel room. And so we're I was like, okay, let me let me look at my dates. So I go get the dates, and I'm like, these don't. This is weird. This is just for first of all, it's just for a day and a half, which I I knew that Indie Popcorn was three days. Yeah, and I was like, that's weird. So I go, I'm like, let me just check the dates. I probably just need to add a date to it or something. I had it was like booked, on a Thursday or something. Yeah, I had booked the wrong month. I had booked two days in July. It was the wrong day. The wrong week, days. The wrong duration, <laughs> the wrong month. Just, it, it couldn't have been It couldn't have been more wrong. wrong. And it was for a hotel that's not even listed as one of the hotels. Like, Yeah, I, I don't know how happen. this... I don't even know how this fucking happened. Like, I, I know we made... <laughs> we made... If you guys recall, we did all of our uh, all of our conference planning in January. I think when we were planning out how to get to GC and doing a hotel, we did all that in like a one three hour blast in the morning. And I don't know how I got all that stuff so crossed. So the whole point about us needing to hire a detail oriented person, I think uh, <laughs> Seth well, can't even screw his water bottle lid on, and I book <laughs> hotels is about a month wrong. So. Yeah, we need some help over here. We're dying. We're things happen. I'd say I'd say we are detail oriented at about a ninety percent rate, but that ten percent really matters, you know. Yeah, well, I feel like it that's can. like that's that's the normal level, you know. It's like you're generally paying attention to the appropriate things to pay attention to, but yeah. if your lapses of judgment make people's shoes soggy, Seth, or <laughs> yeah, well, it'll <laughs> it'll dry out probably. Uh, yeah, and also as part of our R and D stuff. We've been doing a lot of reading about various uh, like team stuff and productivity and psychology and blah. Uh, and there's this super cool book that recently came out by Charles Duhigg. 
who also wrote The Power of Habit, which uh, we always tell everybody to read because that's also good. Uh, this book is called Smarter, Faster, Better, which is a terrible and very forgettable title. Uh, but it's basically just a book about sort of the types of behaviors and habits that you see coming out of really, really highly productive teams and highly productive people. I already forgot the and title, by the way. I know Smarter, Faster, it. Better. Okay, It's because you can't... Just- the word order could be swapped. Yeah, it could be literally anything. Yeah. Well, and it's and it's actually a, you know it's a play on this better, faster, stronger, or yeah, whatever. just in a different. It's, it's in a different, different order and with slightly different words. Ugh. But yeah, it's very hard to remember. You don't want to Charles, bag. Charles Duhigg. I think he's the author. You don't want to fight like Daft Punk and Kanye on, on naming that something. BFS. Yeah. BF, it's it's been done. You know, don't don't try to reverse the order, Charles. It's been done to death, Charles. Anyways. And there's a really interesting... So the first section of the book talks about teams and what makes certain teams more effective than others. And a lot of this research comes out of Google uh, because Google has 4 billion employees and they're constantly collecting data on all of them and trying to do everything also they can to quantify what the people else. are doing. Yeah, everyone else too. <laughs> uh, but the, the big difference is, of course, while Google is collecting data on everyone in the world in general, they get to collect even more data on the people who work in their very own offices. Yeah. Um, and so they tried to figure out, they have this, I can't remember what they call it, like Department of People Science or something. They have an entire department whose job is to just constantly spy on everybody and try to figure out how to make people better at their jobs. And it's like a, I guess it's like a benevolent version of the NSA, right? Is it accurate? Yeah. 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 And, I th- and I'm pretty sure Google employees opt into this, you know, as do we all when we scroll to the end of every license agreement. Yeah. If, if, I accept. if, if, <laughs> if you call accept, that opting in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm not sure clicking accept a license agreement truly is opting in. Well, it's not opting out. No, I, I think it's... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I think it's just a requirement. I guess under um, the guise there, of an opt-in. The, the interesting thing that they found so they, there's a lot of conventional wisdom out there about how to how to have a really effective team when it comes to you know getting stuff done, and a lot of it focuses on. Things like, you know, mixture of introverts and extroverts or ensuring that you have, um, you know, very people of very diverse backgrounds, people with certain, you know, IQs, certain blah, blah, blah. There's all this stuff basically focusing on who it is that's on the team. And uh, what they found at Google was that that actually this is not the most important thing. And in fact, whoever is on the team is almost entirely uncorrelated with the team's potential output. So you're saying that something like your measures of extroversion or your mix of extroverts versus introverts is essentially irrelevant to the end outcome of whatever your team comp is. Yeah, Uh, because the thing that actually does matter is simply how the team members treat each other. And there's this concept that comes up called uh, psychological safety, which essentially is the idea that that you feel that you can give input and speak up about something and actually be listened to and and not essentially not be attacked for the things that you say or, or believe. And this this could be, you know, something simple like. If there's a person in the group who's particularly quiet and reserved that, you know, during a meeting, the team leader makes sure to, you know, rope that person into the discussion and be like, hey, you know, we haven't heard from you in a while. It's like, what do you think about this? Um, That kind of stuff. And it's antithesis 
Its antithesis could be as simple as just constantly berating or interrupting people who are trying to say things, too. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, so any, anything that you do, and, and I think they, they framed it in a very interesting way, which is uh, a team is effective when team members are willing to give up control of the conversation or of their ideas or whatever to the team and essentially sort of more identify uh, with being on the team instead of being worried about their own individual contributions and that kind of stuff. Um, and so you can, you can foster that environment by, by basically just being nice to people and listening to them. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's kind of the so, message at the end of it, right? It's just, uh, make sure that you listen when people are talking and don't be a jerk. About yeah. People stuff. are happier and they do better work when, yeah. When so do you think this is why, treated. this is why the whole phenomenon of like, you have those, those team building exercises, right? And they're spoken of a lot in a sort of very corporate, as a joke, right? In a corporate sense where they're like, oh. Well, it is a joke. It is a joke. But it's like, oh, our quarterly team building exercise, we're going to go, you know, paintball with everybody. Yeah, there. that's not, yeah, that's not how team building works. Like every day should be a team building exercise, right? Like you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to take a break from work to build your team's morale back up. After right? working <laughs> it into the ground. <laughs> yeah, like. You should try to operate your team in the way that people really enjoy being a part of the team. Yeah, and, actually, and that's, I think that's fair. If you need, if your if your company needs retreats and team building exercises and that kind of thing, that's because they're doing all the rest of the stuff wrong. Wait, well, right. I mean, I would, I mean, I think they're still fun to do. If you're doing yeah, anything right, they, they would actually be a blast. Them. Yeah, if yeah. It needs them. Well, here's here's a question though. I was actually just realized because this, this concept of psychological safety, and we talk about this a lot with putting your stuff out on the internet being very difficult. Yep. Um, Which it is. What do you think actually that has, as far as, you know, video games in particular are concerned? Because like we, you know, you spend two years making a thing and during that process, you might show some screenshots or get some interviews with press or whatever. And people start in those comment sections commenting on whatever it is that you're doing. Um, what about just the general concept of psychological safety applied to applied to something like the internet or like putting your stuff up and getting feedback. Well, on yeah, I think that's it. where the recognition that the internet is just riddled with assholes is essential here, right? Because <laughs> riddled with assholes is like, I just got the grossest image in my mind. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, normally exactly how it should be. Yeah. <laughs> normally that phrase is what riddled with bullets. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Bullet like, holes. A bunch of riddled with assholes. Yeah, riddled with assholes. The internet Filled to the brim with assholes, which is another oh graphic. God. It's like a, bu uh, like a bucket. Of, the no, internet's a bucket of sphincters. No matter how gross all of it sounds, it's still better than what the internet actually is. <laughs> but so what does it do, though, right? Well, because yeah, well, I think this is an important point, is, is within a team, it's the responsibility of all parties to maintain that psychological safety net, right? Uh, and any team member that isn't doing that, that's that's over. that's basically being an internet sphincter is going to need to get kicked out of the team or retrained, probably just kicked out. I think people are kind of the way they are is, is what I've, is what I've learned in my old age. Uh, and so, so you need to keep the team as a whole, very, a very safe place to, to tackle problems within. Which this does make, this does make the question when it comes to solo development. Yeah. Because yeah. if you don't have, and this is something that we've encountered a lot where if you, if you don't have a teammate around you, uh, where somebody makes some snarky comment about something you poured your soul into, and somebody just glances at it and then takes a big dump on it. Um, it's easy to just get furious and immediately start writing up a response and like, I'm going to put this internet person in their place. And then your teammate steps in and is like, hold on, 
Who gives a fuck? Well, I think well, yeah, the, right? the thing is actually, uh, to finish the part about the about the internet response, I think the key there is that those people are not your teammates. They're not your peers. They their opinions are are based on nonsense almost universally. And so they <laughs> you need to the, the key there is to distance yourself entirely from that possibility because it's a toxic. It's just a, it's a toxic interaction on average. Well, I think th- this is actually this plays into this really interesting and and oftentimes extremely difficult dynamic that devs are put into where you have you have your player base, right? And your player base has people in it who who I think you would consider on your team. So oh, to yeah, speak. absolutely. But also has people who you would definitely assholes. consider a bunch of assholes who you should ignore. And the problem is that that the masquerading of a sort of, of a teammate on a community level is very easy to do uh, and also happens very, very frequently such that you can have someone who seems like they're like, they might just be super enthusiastic about the game, but as a result of that enthusiasm, they might be sort of, you know, fever pitched about some change you made and try to wreck your day, you know, just by being. Well, then further as, as uh, if they kind of get your ear by being involved in your community and having direct interactions with you, then there are certain people who, I think masquerading is exactly the right word, who begin to feel like now you somehow owe them. And that if they have an opinion about how you, the dev, should be doing things, that it's a real problem if you don't listen to them. It's, kind of, it's an interesting challenge that I think game developers probably face in particular more so than people in other creative industries. I can't say for sure, but because of the fact that games, you know, they exist on the computer, they tend to have, you know, if they have online components and they definitely have online communities and um, and that kind of stuff. So people are, are very vocal online and they try to reach out to the devs a lot. Um, whereas I don't know if that's the case with writing a book or making a movie or something. I mean... I don't know if people specifically try to write messages to Marvel about what they did with the story in the latest Avengers. Oh, movie. I mean, no doubt they do. But I think the they're, they're, I think actually that's not really so much the important distinction as it is the indie indie scene versus AAA. Because yeah. without a doubt, novelists, because that's always a one person gig, right? Or maybe two, but usually one. It's yeah. a one person gig. And, and without a doubt, they get lots and lots of of fan mail of, of fan mail and hate mail and every sort of mail yeah <laughs> uh, and and as solo devs or or small team devs like ours then yeah because because the thing is you know we our persona and our the people behind the scenes are are an obvious human component of the machine that built the product that somebody likes or hates or wants to have changed or whatever and it, and it makes it very obvious who they can reach out to but something like marvel is a giant faceless organization you just write a letter to him and it goes into the mail room yeah or or, or with movies or something <laughs> right and so so for those kinds of things there are communities that form around those concepts so there you know there's marvel marvel fan forums and subreddits and whatever and of course for any particular hero franchise in in that group but those aren't really marvel itself isn't part of that community right the community right. grows up around it yeah okay. or, or or beside it Right. So it's not actually yeah, like, I guess that's that's kind of what I was getting at with like sort of the, the distinction where game developers are sort of uh, I don't want to say expected to sort of engage with the community on that level. But but players really look for that. I mean, I, I would say you're you're much more exposed um, as a game dev. And I think there's there has been a lot of talk about this, especially with with female devs or uh, anybody who's you know, not a heterosexual dev or anything like basically any, any non-white male. Well, yeah. Anybody's dev, not a white guy, straight uh, white guy. They get, you know, we've talked about this in previous things, but they get, they get this sort of, you know, harassment or, or any sort of 
uh, verbal poison on a daily basis. I guess my, my, my point with this whole thing and bringing it back to this, this core idea that you were saying, Seth, is that if it's the case that in order to really function at a really high level and produce these really good works, uh, the psychological safety is essentially a necessary component of that, period. Then, then um, do you have to separate yourself from the consumers? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, do you, do you have to, or I guess, Where's well, the responsibility no. to, uh, from a, either from from a platform or just from a business perspective, to make sure that you insulate your people? Well, such you need that- to build mechanisms for that. I mean, and we've yeah. actually, and as three straight white dudes, like you know, we don't suffer that that kind of abuse that lots of other people do. But even still, this there's a lot of psychological unsafety. Um, in, danger in, in the in the much in the much less, <laughs> but well but it's not danger because it's in the much less serious sense for us right uh in, in terms of just people hating on the things that we make right um and but that, that still even that damages psychological safety even though it doesn't imply like physical safety problems and and we've we've actually and we've talked about these in the podcast quite a bit before too we've had to over the past year or so build all kinds of mechanisms to basically add a layer of of automation and and you know robot responses and stuff in between our player base and ourselves and have tools that once somebody gets through that that process that if they become a problem for us that we can easily remove them and and every game design and every community design that we have focuses a big part of the focus is how do we keep the assholes out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, we we fucking love hearing from people who are excited about. And actually, we got a, an amazing uh, fa- like Facebook comment on the Crashlands page today, where somebody was just raving and raving about the game and how it was as he put it, the, the best game he's ever played in the palm of his hand since he picked up Pokemon Red and Blue when it first came out. <laughs> I was just like, oh, that's like, yeah, just it's so nice to hear that people are enjoying it that much. Um, but yeah, we just we don't need the. But even the, but even even that stuff. aside, like I don't I don't even need to hear lots of good things about the stuff we're doing. It's it's also just nice to talk to regular people. Just well, yeah, we don't we don't need it, but yeah. it's nice. <laughs> it, it's yeah, it's more about the the getting rid of the negativity than it is about anything else. Because the fact is, it's fun to have a platform because of our games to have a, a reach and a platform to stand on where we can interact with lots of interesting people and talk about cool stuff and and to the extent we can try to make the world a more interesting um, and and happier place and yeah. uh, but to do that we do have to protect our own psychological safety and, yeah. and we also have to do that for our future employees and that will become more difficult as it departs from being three straight white dudes uh, because now all of a sudden it changes just from people hating on the things we make to people hating on the people who make them um, because unfortunately that's the the world we live in so without a doubt it's it's our it's our responsibility as a studio to build mechanisms to to insulate our people from that kind of toxic shit and find out how to handle it when it gets through so that we can try to prevent future instances of the same things. And, and so Which, on. by the way, is something we're doing a lot of reading on as well. So yeah. prepare you know. yourself. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, I want to dive into the questions. Let's do it. We're good halfway through. Uh, and the first one I want to start with is not actually the first question, but I think... Wait, where do these questions come from? These questions come from podcast.bscotch.net. You can ask them. You can use your bscotch ID. You can earn an avatar for the forums and for your game playing by getting cup. your question answered. It's a big coffee cup. Ooh, should we or update you can just that ask to use podcast art? 
Oh my Ooh, god! We shit. probably should update it because, or we could add another one if you get a few questions answered. If you get Boom. thirty-three nah. questions answered, you get the the sweet. All part. right. So this first question comes from FB Gaming, and I think this it's also partially related to what we're talking about now, which is why I want to bring it up. Uh, he says, "In the last episode, you talked a lot about not giving a fuck, which we did. If you haven't watched that episode or listened to the episode, go do it now. Uh, do you think there should be a limit to how much you should not give a fuck? I think. Uh, oh yeah, I have this. Okay, sorry. I had. One. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, I think it. The that the song by John Lejoie, which we also mentioned last last time." Actually, it illustrates his point perfectly because at the very end, he gives so few fucks that he doesn't even give a fuck about not giving a fuck, which causes him to give a fuck about everything. It's like and a it zen, comes full yeah, circle, he, and presumably yep. that can only end a disaster. So, from that it perspective, kinda, yes. It kind of reminds me of that. Uh, that there's a comic by Hyperbole and a Half where she talks about breaking through depression, where she's been depressed oh, yeah. for so long, and then was it like she drops a bag of Skittles or something? No, she's, there's a piece of corn that she saw under the fridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and it somehow like she was so depressed that she somehow stopped caring about being depressed or something like it went. It sort of ate itself, you know. Yeah. Like the proverbial like snake eating its own tail situation, and I think the end of like I'm saying the end of that John the Joey song is is a perfect example of that where after not giving a fuck about everything for long enough, um, you somehow feel free to give your fucks. <laughs> well, well, so <laughs> I think I think we need to talk about the concept of fuck parody or fuck balance. <laughs> fuck parody and fuck balance. Okay. Okay. So with you so and th- far, and this is in the the amazing book that I recommended uh, last week, which is the life changing magic of not giving a fuck. Who's this uh, by? I can't remember, but it's pretty good. I'm pretty sure uh, so with that name you could Google it, you'd be fine. <laughs> yeah. So the so the basic idea here is that there's essentially two aspects to giving a fuck. Mm. Uh, one is giving a fuck about something. Okay. And that is something that's inherent to you. So uh, if somebody's like, hey, you want to come to my baby shower? And inside you're thinking, I don't give a fuck about baby showers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or if somebody asks you, you know, if you want to go see a particular movie or something and you're like, nah, I don't give a fuck about that movie. Um, and that, so that's the, the idea. Like there are things that you care about and there's things that you don't care about. Right. And then there's the idea of giving a fuck to something. And that is when you you physically take action and devote time and energy into that thing. So one is like one is like the thought and one is the action. One is the thought and one is the action. So it's it's not it's not that we, you know, encourage you to just not give a fuck about anything. It's that you should only give fucks to the things that you give a fuck about. Mm. And you should not give you should not give any more fucks to anything else other than those. Uh, otherwise, you're just gonna be wasting your time, and you're gonna be really sad about everything. That's that's fuck parody. Fuck parody. So that's my answer. It's yeah. Interesting. I like. Yeah, it. I, I like this evolving theory of of giving a fuck or not giving a fuck. I think we can we'll pull this through. You know, see if we can develop a really robust theory about yeah. the end. Of it's it. it's all about being true to yourself, right? Yep. Only give fucks to the things you give a fuck about. That's a good. That's a that's a quotable moment right there. Yeah. All right. Next question comes from I don't know. I'm bored. Thirty three or IDKM board who says i'll start by saying i love tal fight 2 which is something we hear very rarely <laughs> uh, well nobody plays nobody it, so, plays yeah. so if you haven't played it, it is free and by free i mean like it's so free that we make no money off it free is, in beer? <laughs> is that how that works so uh yeah there's a way that you could pay us using it but you're probably not going to yeah it, it's not necessary at all uh so uh check it out if you haven't played it but 
Uh, I don't know, on board asks, I'm really curious, what was the inspiration for the magical animal shooting monocle? And I think this actually rolls back in, right back into the psychological safety analysis that I give the fuck thing that we've been talking about quite a bit. Hit it! Which is that, you know, at the, at the beginning of our development, um, I was so bad at the art and Seth was, Seth was good at programming, but still was figuring out like how to do everything. So we needed to figure out just a really, a really easy mechanism by which we could pack a lot of content into the game, but not with a lot of extra art overhead. And so making- Or just work in general. Yeah, just the laziest <laughs> method possible. And so making these just circles, variously colored circles, which let's face it, that's all they actually are. They're technically animal themed, but they're pretty much all just a bunch of circles. Animal themed circles. Uh, so you're shooting circles out of your out of your face, but the, the reality was that you didn't actually start off shooting them out of your face. And also the if you if you look at where the shot comes out, so I think correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it comes out lower than your face. It comes out of your chest, right? Uh, no, it comes we, out of your face. Okay, we moved we, it up. We, we moved it up. So yeah. it was the case that uh, again, my my general art powers and stuff were just not particularly good. So Seth and I were chatting about this this problem again going to the psychological safety thing. I was like, hey, you know, I, I cannot draw an animation for this. It's going to look good of some guy like throwing these or really doing anything to these things. They just need well, to... We, yeah, well, we couldn't do the throwing. So then we tried something. Our next idea was Hardik would just have a wormhole on his chest. Just yeah. like always like in his chest cavity and the animals would come out of there. But yeah, and then... That didn't work either. That didn't work either because I couldn't draw a wormhole, which is hilarious because it's... <laughs> A hole. It's a hole. <laughs> it's drawing nothingness. Uh, and so we, he, the character literally just happened to have a monocle on also because I didn't want to have to draw his other eye when I was making him as a character. Uh, that, that the whole, the fact that the monocle has now looped into the general uh, Crashlands and Butterscotch universe lore in a really powerful way was not planned in any sense whatsoever and so i guess there was i guess the, the short answer is there was no inspiration for the magical animal shooting monocle it was all born out of well necessity. but there was inspiration it was born out of necessity but then yep. it was the realization that we could do something amusing with that limitation i, well, I guess the way to yep. think about think about it, we talked about this last time about how we, we usually put explosions over things that i can't quite animate yet right so similarly we put a monocle over this guy's face. Well, it's it's kind of like it's a distraction technique, right? We made the instead of just shooting bullets out, at which point you would have been like, you would have had more time mentally to think about, okay, uh, if he's shooting bullets, it should look like blah. But if we could just sort of distract you with the spectacle of firing animals out of your face. <laughs> <laughs> you have no frame of reference for what that's supposed yeah, to be it's the like. Same, it's the <laughs> same thing as the explosion model just applied back onto you. And it worked fabulously. Everybody should go play Talfight 2. Game dev sleight of hand. Yeah, it's the best. Um, so next question comes from Mitron, uh, who asks, what gear do you guys use? Are there any particular gizmos you have at home or take on the road? Any satisfying cup warmers, acceptable phone battery cases, excellent USB humping dogs, legendary rechargeable heated knitting wool hand gloves, and the like? Hmm. I try to reduce my gizmo requirements all the way down to zero. Why is yeah. that? Yeah. I just... I don't like depending on things. And part of it is I'm constantly having to like go to St. Louis to work for a while. Uh, my from working from home, it gets just so fucking depressing sitting in one spot, like and just never going anywhere else. And so I like to move around my house at least a little bit to, to get, you know, like so you sit on the couch wanna, and work for a while. So you I just, actually want to build out some inconvenience in your life so that you have more life to live. Yeah, exactly. So that I can live longer as we've discussed previously. And well, so for me, that means just, I strip it down to the bare, bare essential 
essentials, which is basically my laptop, uh, earbuds, and then whatever microphone is most appropriate for the setting that I'm that I'm in. So when I'm traveling and stuff, I'll just stick with the Meteor mic or the inbuilt shitty. What does it deal with shitty laptop mics? And how is it so? How is it that I think every I think because a laptop is mic garbage. is just a tiny pinprick sized hole in your computer is that there, somehow is there sound no falls alternative? into. <laughs> that but anyway uh that that aside uh yeah so it's just it's whatever minimal stuff i can have like i've got a tiny thin moleskin that sits in my back pocket one pen to write in it if i ever need to and then my phone we're shockingly non-technical actually yeah i always have a stetler permanent lumocolor size five pen in my pocket and a moleskin that is really specific it's a it's a really good pen i ordered i ordered 40 of them I oftentimes uh, think I have a pen in my pocket, but then I lost it somewhere. <laughs> I used to I used to use the technique of always carrying a black pen and a neon pink pen. And anytime somebody asked to borrow a pen, I would give them the pink one because they somehow always remembered to give it back. Oh, because it's useless. They're like, I can't I can't use but this. But also anywhere. I feel like a, you should I feel also like make the, it a little sticky. Just like <laughs> just rub some chapstick on it before yeah. you put it in your pocket. So it's like a little like wet. Well, yeah. there's the problem of once you become known as as the guy who has a pen, then nobody around you remembers to bring pens because they know they can depend. But on if you they to if they depend, <laughs> <laughs> if they remember you as the guy who always brings the sticky pen, <laughs> stop. Is that better? It, exactly. Is it? <laughs> It's on, it's on that. It's just sticky. It's you just, just put a bunch sticky. of stickers on it and then ripped them off again to get the. Yeah, it would be really effect. easy. I mean, it's kind of like because I I always carry chapstick in my pocket, but I every once in a while I just you know idly will peel the wrapper thing off of it and then I end up with just a sticky chapstick thing that's in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> on purpose or just it just it just tends to be what happens over time. Yeah, so think- there's this uh, there's this idea that I'm wondering if you guys have thought about this. Uh, speaking of gadgets and gizmos, that. Human beings have this uh, tendency to really over anticipate the impact of change yeah. in their lives. It's called emotional forecasting. Emotion, yeah, and, and people, uh, well, I, I shouldn't say people are really bad at it. I'll just say people tend to do it in a really specific way, which is they just really exaggerate stuff. So you'd be like, oh man, I, I've been in terrible shape my whole life, but once I buy this We Fit board, it's just, that's going to be the thing. Like, I'm going to just do it. So you'll get it, you'll do it once, you're like, wow, that was not as awesome as I thought, and then you just put it away and then never see it again. And I feel like being being younger, you're a lot more susceptible to this kind of thinking because you just haven't experienced that much. But nowadays, I just don't really give a crap about getting new stuff because it's almost always just never that big of a deal. Yeah, almost invariably, it doesn't change a thing. As yeah. I've noticed and then too. you stop using it after a short period of time. I mean, I've got like, I just have tons of stuff in my in my house that which I, I tend to just to try to get rid of over time. Um, but I've just accumulated all these just random little things. And, and I no longer buy random little things because I've got enough of them that I don't use and I know that I'm not going to use them. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the fact is like my, my daily life consists of wearing one of about five shirts, one of about three pairs of pants, one of two pairs of shoes, uh, using my laptop, using one pen you know and, why? Because and one you coffee have, mug, right? That, you've, that's achieved, my life. you've achieved fuck parody. That's right. Yeah, you you're only <laughs> buying stuff that you actually give a fuck about. Well, yeah. and well the nice thing fun. about doing that, too, is that you then end up having you save so much money 
by not buying the just garbage that now yeah. when you go want to buy a thing you give a fuck about you can actually invest in it. I like, think there's, there's a good get thing. a nice one. There's probably even another another hidden one here, which is that which is actually that of the ability to sort of easily react to your shifting priority. So for example, about two weeks ago, I looked at my five shirts and I was like, I've been wearing these five shirts. I have some of these shirts that I've had since my freshman year of college. And God damn it, I had you know I'm a, I'm a man. I'm a, I'm a grown ass man. <laughs> I'm a grown ass man. <laughs> I need to actually I need to actually put about 10 minutes of thought into my looks as far as fashion is concerned. So I did. And then I went to Marshall's. And bought five different shirts and I got bought, rid of the other ones. Yep, I bought, I bought. But the thing is, that amounted to a complete wardrobe change. <laughs> right. And right. my fiance this morning. You don't have as morning, much momentum anymore. Yeah, my fiance this morning was like, wow, you, you've been looking really sharp the last couple of days. And the thing is, I've changed nothing. I put on one of my five shirts. <laughs> <laughs> like functionally, right, I've changed nothing. Changed, you just changed this your is, selection set. Yeah, and the and the total cost though for me to do that was super duper low, both because I went to Marshalls and because I only own five shirts. This yeah. is the don't repeat. This is the dry principle for programming. Yeah, you should use it in real life. Yeah. It's the dry principle of programming is don't repeat yourself, which basically means don't have redundant information lying around so that if you ever want to make a change, you have to change lots of stuff at the same time. Right. Yeah. I did the same thing with my jeans. I had a bunch of shitty old jeans a year ago and I was like, you know what? It's time. And I took all four pairs of jeans that I owned. All which four? Happened, which happened to be basically all of my pants uh, items. I just uh, went and got, got four new pairs and boom, my whole look changes. <laughs> yeah. Jeans wise. Anyways. Speaking of which, so. I think I might have mentioned this in a previous podcast episode. But seriously, guys, these stretchy American Eagle jeans... Fucking amazing. I don't think you did, but you did mention it a lot over the past week. Yeah, Adam yeah. Would, we would go outside and Adam would just start like doing he just start stretching. They're <laughs> amazing. And then he'd be like, look is, at uh, these pants. The the past trends that jeans have gone through have always been really aggravating to me as a, as a guy who didn't give a shit about like the clothes I was wearing. Because for a long period of time, it seemed like the more... Uh, structurally impaired your pants were the the more prevalent they were and easy to find because they were all had holes in them and were like you know sand sanded or something this is yeah a, you're buying pre-frayed yeah pre you were buying structurally unsound jeans? this is a, a deconstructed jean yeah <laughs> no, all of a sudden, it's actually four threads of denim right mm. All of a sudden, though, uh, that we we've like gone the other direction, and now it's like going. It's like purely the, like the most functional kind of gene in the universe, where and that are very sharp looking, and they're sharp looking, and then you can actually like run around, like you could you could flee from zombies, you could do whatever you need to. Wait, speaking of both products we love and fleeing from zombies, I think there's an interesting point here though uh, about just like what stuff you're carrying or what stuff what sort of gadgets you use because. The reality also is that so much stuff has been sort of sucked into our devices over time that you just don't need to carry much of anything anymore. Like I have a watch because I don't like to check my time on my phone. Also, well, let's be real. Stylish. You, you probably stylish. also don't even need to carry your device, really. Right? Well, yeah, you don't. I'm sure you don't need to. But so I, I want to talk, though, speaking of Adam's point about zombies, about uh, this app I found the other day that Adam also pointed out, which is called Zombies, comma, run with an exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's fucking awesome because I so I hate running, but I do it anyways. And so I thought maybe I can make this more enjoyable for myself and also get myself to go you know further and faster. And Adam mentioned this app, and basically it's a run tracker like pretty much all the other run trackers out there. You know, you can you can turn on your GPS; it'll show you on the map where you are, time yourself, whatever. But the best part about it is that as you run, it's actually telling you a sort of like a Walking Dead esque 
I mean, it's a zombie story, uh, but it's fully voice acted and everything. And you're essentially participating in it as a runner for this post-apocalyptic town. And because of how they do it, we're like, so as you're running, uh, you also collect supplies and stuff. So in other words, it motivates you to continue running by that. And then also every so often it drips in a new piece of the voice work content that's about the story, right? Because they'll be like, oh, we need you to go check out this hospital. And the guy will be chatting with you for a little bit and sort of making some snarky remarks. And then you'll be running. And then about two minutes later, he'll be like, oh, uh, uh, runner five, there's a, there's a huge horde of zombies to the east. Uh, they appear to have picked up on your on the sounds you've been making running through the hospital. You're going to need to like take a left this way. And, then, and then you don't have to actually change direction or anything. But it's awesome because you feel like you're, I guess, it, it, make, it suddenly makes the running have an actual meaning. Whereas before, it just feels like standard grinding procedure for any well, MMO. Uh, yes. I was going to say, this actually, this reminds me exactly of the conversation we had about... Um, about whether or not having randomness in a game is lazy design or if it's actually important mm -hmm. in the game. Remember that? Yeah. I think it was like three episodes ago or something. Um, because really you're not doing anything different, right? You're not taking any different actions than you used to. You're going outside, you're running, and then you're right. coming back yeah, home. Yeah. But now while you're doing it, there's randomness, right? There's surprises that happen as but you But it go. also, it won't continue happening unless I continue running. Exactly, That's yeah. So, so you are causing the random things to happen, but you still don't know what's going to happen. And also you've been given a sense of purpose, which, yeah, that's interesting. It's, it's the bomb is what it is. And I got chased by zombies for two days and I ran so hard after not running for a long time that my body's just been kind of wrecked for the last day and a half. <laughs> so I'll be starting again tomorrow. But very I'm like super excited to go for a run tomorrow, which yeah, literally has never start. been a thing I said. Yeah. I need to start, start using it and trying it out. But this also, we were talking about this cause it was just this kind of fun, cool idea. And it made us think of integrating this kind of thing into our own butterscotch universe, Ooh. which obviously we don't know what we're going to do. So this isn't a, a promise. This is just theoretical. This is just us. Idea. This is just us thinking about it. But the idea would be that, cause we can also, you know, it sucks to have to exercise. It's just not fun. And, but we want to encourage it. If we can, we want to try to encourage it to, do it ourselves and 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 as we were thinking about it we're like actually shit there's all these really easy tie-ins you could do with real life doing stuff and game either rewards or content or whatever depending on how closely those things are are related but even the simplest sense because we have bscotch id uh you know there's this app that most people use for run tracking called Runkeeper, and it has an open api which means if if people were into that kind of thing we could basically let them log in uh, and give us permission to access their API data from RunKeeper. And then we could give them rewards in our games for going out and doing runs. Or even just have it be its own standalone thing. Or That's its own standalone thing. Or, yeah, or so, you, play as, you play as a messenger from one of the other races that we've been kicking around right. in the background. Yeah, or, yeah, exactly. yeah. or we could make, we could, so because the, the easy thing to do would be to take existing games and then do something like say, hey, every mile you run, we're going to drop doubloons for you, like as if you're picking them up while you're running, right? Just trivially easy kind of implementation all the way up to making a game where a core part of interacting with the game is by you going out in the world and doing stuff and then having that cause changes in the game. Yeah. Which would be very cool. So that anyway. Would be fun. Who knows? But it's I don't know. We're just trying to give people, you know, more points to do more cool stuff. Yeah, life stuff. life needs more points. It really does. Because life doesn't have a point. Speaking so. of which, Alan Falcon asks, what are your top, what are each of your top favorite Weird Al songs? Albuquerque. Oh. Yeah. Uh, what about the Trapped in the Drive-Thru? 
the oh yeah that one's good the like 12 minute song <laughs> or whatever it is any yeah any uh, weird Al song that's over 10 minutes long is a winner <laughs> yeah yeah shit Albu- yeah albuquerque is like a good six minutes long or something isn't it yeah uh amish paradise phenomenal white and yeah. nerdy you know also phenomenal mm-hmm. i think my favorite recent one is the word crimes yeah that one's good one. although oh yeah although i, I really liked it the first time i listened to it and then i actually just got really annoyed with it because of the focus on the arbitrary rules of grammar and stuff like the ones that don't really matter you know because language is a <laughs> people people get confused about this thing i think too often because you got these like language purists that just believe that language is the way it is and if you do it wrong then like that's that's a problem right but language is a is a tool for us to use not vice versa and if you do it too wrongly then of course if if you're breaking the rules because you don't know the rules then it makes it hard for the people to communicate and understand what you're doing but if you follow the rules and then break them appropriately or use conventions that are that you know are, are becoming established just like changes in the language then you're either doing something interesting or at least following things that are more understandable to people so this whole like harping on things like the definition of irony for Mm, example it's like yeah it has an old strict definition but literally no human uses it that way because nobody knows that definition and as a consequence you gotta gotta roll with the changes you gotta roll with the changes and so as a consequence when somebody says something is ironic almost universally they mean it in a different way than its strict older definition which is why dictionaries update themselves and now include the way that people normally use it today as one of the definitions and so instead of correcting somebody on their use of irony because what the fuck is the point of that right just accept that it has multiple meanings because language changes over time you know you know what drives me crazy is when somebody gets upset at somebody else for saying the word literally but meaning figuratively (laughs) because i literally ate the sun if if somebody's like i (laughs) saw this movie i literally died yeah so funny because they yeah they mean it as a as a way to express an extremeness it's 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 as if it's as if they exactly yeah it's as if they said i died from laughing and died as in bold now because they put literally in front of it like you know they didn't die they know they didn't die and (laughs) no motherfucker in the world says the word figuratively no they don't i figuratively died well that's because it takes the punch out yeah exactly it actually it does exactly the opposite it takes if you point out that you're using the word in the in the opposite sense then then yeah it's boring again yeah which is all so the only time chill the fuck (laughs) out people yeah the only time you should be upset if somebody says i literally blank is if you're a total idiot and you can't understand context then you should be upset about it or or, they just say it so often that it's just annoying that's the one. If it becomes something akin to saying the word like in excess, mm-hmm. which is one of the easiest things to accidentally do, especially if you hang out with a young a bunch of young whippersnappers. Young bucks. Uh, I mean, whenever I, hang, whenever I go hang out with college students for a bit or, or even like my fiance's friends, then I'll start picking up. I'll start picking up the word like again and I can't get it out. Yeah. My damn vocabulary. But it yeah, just, I've, it no, just I've noticed I've been dropping L-bombs way more often than I used to. For yeah. Some reason. yeah, we need to tone that stop shit it. down. Quit dropping your L-bombs. Maybe you should put that in the beginning of the podcast as a warning. I'm going to drop the people's L-bomb. The people's L-bomb. <laughs> uh, Dubrowski asks, are there any prototypes that you put down for some reason or another that you plan on picking up back in the future? Mountains of prototypes. I think the only one is really extreme slot cycling. We've made a lot of games that are 
Well, we talked about Shepard the other day. Yeah. yeah like, well, I don't know. It's just, it's a time problem. It's the same as everything else, right? We don't yeah, have- well, not only that, but I think prototypes are, are experiments, but I don't know if it's ever really that worth it to prototype something, put it on the back burner, and then go, okay, we're going to make this into a full game, and then you pick up that same prototype again and try to work through the code base. And <laughs> yeah, you should, yeah, you should start from scratch and, and, and thematically do something similar, but not yeah. use the Here's same an interesting base. point, though. The, the reality is that we have never, ever, we've never read any game that we put on the back burner. It has never come off the back burner. Yeah, it's an important note. <laughs> this is something I used to tell people: is that the back burner is in fact an incinerator. <laughs> right. It's, it's it's just a garbage can. Let's be real. All right. Next question comes from Mitrone, who says, "Let's talk music. How do you pick music for your games?" Fat Bard appears to be your official BSition since Crashlands. Have you worked with other artists in the past? And has your selection process evolved from game to game? Um. So we used to have a music uh, composer who I went to law school with, but he moved on with his life and became a lawyer and had no time for music. Uh, But he was the one who composed the music for uh, Towel Fight 2 and for Quadrupus Rampage. And then the next big thing was was Crashlands. And well, the Fat other Bard games use uh, just free, freely available music, right? Free, yeah, free stuff from Free Music Archive, which is it's a it's a good way to slam some stuff in there if you've got a project that you're not you know trying to invest a lot in. Uh, yeah, it's financially, great. it's great for just, early projects. Honestly. Yeah, just well, trying to get yeah. get stuff out the door. So. And also, this is an important point to say that if you're going to if you need music for a thing, you either need to find free music or pay someone money. Don't yeah, don't try to get somebody music. to make music for free for your or games. steal it because you can that'll end poorly yeah that will end poorly yeah and the and the big advantage of having a composer who knows what they're doing is you end up with these cool thematic elements that that play out throughout all the different songs in the game um Whereas if you take free music, you're basically creating sort of a Frankenstein's monster of I guess it's things. It, I think the better way to put it, it's more like a mixtape. I don't, I don't think it's so terrible that it's like a monster, but it's it's more no, like a mixtape yeah. that gets at the mood of what your game is supposed to be, right? But not yeah. with a yeah. But it's nobody not an album. But if you think music. about, say, you know, the, the general theme song of you know Super Mario World or something, and and everybody knows it, but it's not because they heard it just on the main menu. It's because it, the theme is pervasive, you know, throughout the whole game yeah. and so when you when you hear something that has that melody in it um, then you're just like oh Mario you know you just know because you've been listening to it for hours and hours and hours so alright we got two questions left before wrapping up today okay. and the first one is super weird <laughs> comes from Khaki Chan 2 Khaki Chan if you had the superpower of shooting objects out of your wrists similar to Spider-Man's web in the movies would you choose to be able to shoot one, uncooked wieners. Two, whipped cream. Or three, pocket sand. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> and then he adds a thing, which is, if you like any other objects, please share. But I think we should stick to those three. Uh, which okay, uncooked first, wieners? First, what the uh, fuck is pocket sand? Uh, That's I, just I, Sand in your pocket. That's my... Pocket sand is what you keep on hand in case you ever need to blind somebody. I think <laughs> okay, it's like right. old-fashioned mace. Let me see. Okay, pocket, pocket sand. sand is like old-fashioned mace. Got it. You can just whip it out into somebody's eye. Yeah, when no, you do it, you have to yell. It's actually true. I thought you were kidding, Seth, but I just looked this up. It's true. Yeah, you have to yell <laughs> pocket sand when you do it, though. Pocket uh, sand. Oh, it's from King of the Hill. That's where it comes from. Hey. Um, okay, I think the bigger question here is, who is the villain in this scenario? Because that's really going to change. What if you're the villain? What could you possibly <laughs> do with these three powers? 
Well, there doesn't yeah, need well, to be there doesn't need to be a villain here. This is about having a superpower, not being a superhero. Yeah, but I want to know who I'm fighting because, for no, example, what I'm saying is you don't need to be fighting. Yeah, you're you're assuming like you're assuming that this means you have to go fight stuff, but you could just be maybe you're just like the best hot dog. Yeah, you could have planet. a hot dog stand with infinite free hot dogs. For example, don't let the don't let the health code people come and check out. Okay, well let me your hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me uh, let me ask this though, because every superpower has to have some kind of a of a limitation on it right i mean presumably to shoot hot dogs out of your wrists you also like you can't just create matter from nothing so your body has to form them you got to be making them somehow which means you either need to be also consuming hot dogs for like a one-to-one relationship or because hot dogs are basically like compressed grossness like from just harvested from an animal you're gonna need like some new organ that's constantly converting the rest of your body into into hot hot dogs yeah you got some you got some wrist organs that do hot dog conversion and they have a sphincter on them. Yeah. That comes in, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the other question is well, yeah, because important what, what thing does here, the orifice look like that these things are coming out of? Because, but, but importantly, those hot dogs are made from people. Yeah. So well, not people from, from you. you as a person, meaning if you or anybody else eats those hot dogs, they are now a cannibal. Yeah. So assuming that you are mm. obeying the laws of thermodynamics, Right. Yes. Is that is that right? That energy cannot be created or Matter destroyed. Can, correct. Yeah. So you cannot simply summon uncooked wieners from nothing. No. Yeah. So you would also somewhere. you just need to be constantly eating other stuff, which would kind of put you at a, at a net neutral sort no, of. No, definitely net disadvantage because there's no perfect efficiency in in converting that's things true. from one form to another. Some Ooh, energy right. be lost somewhere along the way. Uh, it's like when you sell your game through a platform and they take thirty percent. Yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. this would apply to all three of them, right? Like you can't just produce pocket sand or whipped cream. No, for but nothing well, either. So I think here I yeah. want to I want to say though, from from coming back to the cannibal perspective, it's it seems to be generally accepted that babies are not cannibals, even though they drink human milk, right? It is the case though that, right? that if you eat a person's arm, you're a cannibal because you're eating person meat. So, so I think the difference between uncooked wieners and whipped cream. Exactly. I think you have to go whipped cream <laughs> because it's the only way that either you or other people can eat the thing that you're squirting out of your wrists. Yeah, but nobody's going to do that. You're not going to be like cannibal. on a date and they'll get a hot chocolate or something. And you'll be like, oh, let me uh, real quick. <laughs> let me <laughs> just, just squirt from your wrist. I don't know. Man, I think I would use the shit out of that. Yeah. yeah. I would totally date someone who could spray whipped cream on stuff for me. It seems like a pretty Out good selling their point. their wrist. I what mean, if, what yeah. if they don't? What if they don't keep their whipped cream wrist sphincter clean? I'm assuming a certain <laughs> level of civil <laughs> hygiene. Yeah, before present. they come to sit down to eat, I assume they wash their hands and their wrist sphincters. <laughs> okay. That's important. This is very important. Wash your wrist sphincters before you eat. Kids. Pocket sand. Uh, pocket sand is definitely the most sort of combat oriented. That would, would hurt. Would, yeah, exactly. It would be abrasive to shoot out of a wrist sphincter. Well, I guess that's another question. Though. What animals fire out a granular substance? Nothing does that. Like you, I have an you idea. Got bombardier beetles that shoot out. They shoot know, boiling lava, basically. You got quills from porcupines. Yeah, Here's a question: What are, if you had something? Out, they're just they're just let go. They like whip them. Right yeah, but you away. could do something like uh, like like each wrist shoots out a different chemical compound 
that when they combine in the air, they become pocket sand. That doesn't make any sense. Well, that would totally work. Pocket sand just needs to be some kind of solid granular substance. Yeah, you could just you could just have like basically a a two part crystal crystal uh, formulate formulant of some sort. So you shoot one part out of your right hand in a fine mist, and then one part of your left hand in a fine mist. And when they mix in the air, then they create sand. Yeah, or maybe it's pocket salt and you can shoot raw sodium out of one hand and raw chlorine out of the other. <laughs> Although if you just, if it was elemental now. would be pretty now, murdery. Yeah, well now one of those things would be a poison gas and the other one would just explode when it contacted any form of water. That's that's a hell of a skill to have. So I'll, I think I'd prefer the whipped cream though. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, it seems you know. less dangerous, and then you have the advantage of not being considered a cannibal. So. Well, here's the other thing. Like, what if you had a dream, you know, because people lose control of various functions while they're <laughs> Right, while they're you either sleeping. wake up with like, hot dogs in your bed. Yeah, you walk, yeah. <laughs> what, you know, like, how are you going to wash your sheets with this superpower situation? Although hot guess, dogs are easy to wash off your sheets because you just pick them true. up. That's true. Yeah, it's really either hot dogs or whipped well, cream. Well, you just pick them up and then just cook them up for breakfast. I fucking hate sand. <laughs> sand always gets everywhere. That's right. You got to get those back into your body somehow because you lost like three hot dogs overnight <laughs> worth of body weight. Okay, the, the final question uh, is actually two questions. Ooh, wait, no, I want to. I there's one more point that I think oh, is wait, important. <laughs> is is if, if you're going for... Okay, so so secreting. Wait, can you throw up out of your wrist sphincters? Probably. So, but secreting hot dogs means you're like you're <laughs> you're literally converting sort of like the entirety of your body into hot dogs, right? Sure. But if you're secreting milk, it actually means that you're shooting fat out of your wrists, which means okay. you're removing fat from your body. So it can also be used as a weight management tool. So you can just sit there and like shoot fat out. Yeah, you can eat as much candy as you want because all that candy just turns into you. Your wrist juices, or you would have to eat a ton of candy. But for easy access, wouldn't your wrists need to keep a big fat reserve in them? Yeah, so uh, you kind of have you no, kind of I mean, have like wrist cankles. There's all kinds of organs you could come, like you could come up with a distributed, a new distributed network, kind of like your lymphatic system that just transports whipped cream around. <laughs> <laughs> But then you're going to go get whipped cream cyst, whipped cream cancer. So then it would be like. Which is if, the worst kind. If that were the case, then if you, like, let's say you got a cut somewhere or something. If you accidentally, you know, got one of your, your cream. Oh, they cut the cream pipe. You went to death. I don't know. If you, you would bleed and then also whipped cream would shoot out of your body. Because yeah, I'm could, assuming it's pressurized, you know, like it is in the can. Yeah, it would have to be somehow. Yeah. Yeah. You just flex it super hard. It'd be like peristalsis. But then there's also, it would be body temperature whipped cream. <laughs> that is true. That would be... <laughs> unless, you've got, be a, unless it comes with some sort of an endothermic chemical reaction. Yeah, that like let's put that in there too. Yeah, while we're at this it. Is, what was that joke I read on the uh, Saturday morning breakfast cereal comics where the, the bio biomechanical engineer or something was like oh, yeah, making, right. making things that should never exist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's this in a nutshell. Although I kind of think it should exist. Bioengineers, get on this. Yeah. Whipped right. cream wrist sphincters. Final question combo uh, comes from both One Dead Saint and Alan Falcon. In this order, Alan Falcon asks, have you ever watched a movie years later and it registered on a completely different level for you, for better or for worse? And then the inverse of it, One Dead Saint asks, what movie have you only watched once? Not because it sucked, but because it had such a profound effect on anybody. Uh, for the uh, second one... Those would be those various movies that are too uncomfortably true about the horribleness of human beings to each other. What's that? I think Crash is that one for me. Uh, you watch Crash? The one, it's called Crash. I can't remember sure. the one that I... The, there was one that I saw that bothered me, that made me so angry and bothered me so much that I purposely tried to block it out of my memory forever. 
So you don't even know what it is I don't anymore. even know what it is anymore. And ever since then, I've actively avoided at all costs any kind of movie that could possibly do that to me again. Yeah, I generally just watch movies that are enjoyable now. Yeah, because the world is I shitty did. enough. I don't need to go watch fake shittiness. Yeah, I watched uh, the movie Crash, I think when I was in high school. And man, that wrecked me for like three days. It's just... And there's nothing, there's nothing paranormal about it. Nothing. It's just a movie about some people going through various discriminatory and institutionalized other bullshit and their dealings with it. And that was a lot. There's a lot to deal with. So, so crash is for me. I know one. What's that? And I think you forgot about it, Sam. Don't tell me. I don't want to remember. I, I can't remember the name exactly. I think it's called Imagineers or something. Uh, like I think we started watching it, but I stopped watching it. No, we, we watched it. It, it has Zach Galifianakis in it. I think it's from like 2007. No, no, no. I think like I think what happened, we found it and I was like, this looks interesting. I watched the first couple of minutes of it and was like, fuck this. And I bounced and you finished it and then you told me about it later. Yeah. So this movie, uh, I here's the thing. I don't know if it was good. I don't know if it was bad. All I know is that I watched it and at the end I was kind of like, huh. And then over the course of the next 24 hours, I just kind of like fell into a weird depression. <laughs> 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 the movie... The movie, like the premise is basically that society is is generally kind of as as it currently is with one major difference, which is that people sometimes just explode. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I remember, yeah, so, remember the trailer. Yeah. So the, the general vibe that I got from Wait, the movie. Wait, is this and, a comedy? What, what is it? Uh, I don't know what it is. It's actually like dark as fuck, if I recall. Yeah, and Weird. so... Um, so a lot of sort of the way that people go about living their lives is to try to minimize the chance that they will explode. But nobody truly understands what it is that causes people to explode. And so most people <laughs> kind of land in this really, really dissatisfying existence where they uh, they just try to avoid getting emotionally invested in things and they try to avoid uh, like taking risks and getting excited and feeling things and whatever and they just try to like land in a weird sort of you know dead end desk job or something and just cruise on that until they die without exploding um, but still those people also explode but they stick to their guns and they keep doing it anyway so it's really just a, just a kind of a more immediate Death thing about scenario. just death in general. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was uh, it was it was a movie where I it kind of forced me to think about it, but in ways that I couldn't understand. It was more of like an emotional thinking. Like I just felt a lot of weird stuff after watching. <laughs> <laughs> um, huh. All right, what about uh, what about Alan Falcon's question? Have you ever watched the movie years later and it registered on a completely different level for you? I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna say definitely. I'm just I'm having trouble coming up with. A I can I can come up with. With one, um, which is Office Space, where when that movie first came out, I, it was like 1999 or something, something like that, right? Yeah, it's an old one. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, you know, in middle school. I was a young chid. And at the time, it was just this hilarious comedy um, with all these quirky characters and, you know, whatever. But the the older I've gotten and the more that I've sort of interacted with uh, with the corporate world, the more I realized that it was just a documentary. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and it's really like that, that like just, it, it actually had a lot more truth in it than, than it should have. It should. Yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't a comedy so much as it just sort of captured a, a fairly close picture of, of what, how, how work is for most people. Um, 
and it scares the shit out of me, you know? Like I yeah. try to do everything in my in my power to avoid landing in that kind of scenario. Yeah, mine is a So what from comedy to a horror movie? <laughs> yeah, mine's kind of similar actually, uh in the in that the first the first viewing was just pure entertainment. And then the second one was a bit deeper and different. It was actually the Avatar movie, not the terrible one with the the whitewashed Airbender. Uh, oh, okay. That situation that happened, but with the actual the Avatar giant movie that, epic. Yeah. Yeah. What Cameron, David, whatever his name is, did. Um, and I think the reason was like the spectacle of it the first time was just so amazing because they built this whole world uh, and like really, really thoroughly. And just watching that whole thing was just. I remember just being so fucking amazed. I think I watched that movie three times within a week of it coming out. I was like, I just wanted to go be there some more. And it's like, a, you know, it's like a three hour movie or something. It's like two and a half hours, three hours. Yeah. And, and then I watched it again about three months ago and it hit me on just a totally different level where it wasn't about, you know, it wasn't about the beauty and the spectacle of the whole thing. It was, it was actually about the about, shittiness of people. Yeah. Just the general message they were saying where they're like, look, you can't just blow up everything all the time. <laughs> Cut it out. <laughs> Guys, quit. Quit driving your corporocracy into into the core of the world and destroying yeah, it's everything. It's sort of like it's kind of a, it. It just captures very dramatically the end result of of uh, of what companies do because companies can't have ethics because they're not people. Right. And and so yeah, that, that's the, the consequence of just a company doing its thing without people ethically steering it is that the world tree gets destroyed. Yeah, the world tree gets destroyed. So if you're running a company, just don't be an asshole. Which I guess mostly means don't be a publicly traded company because then you can't help it. <laughs> well, the thing that kind of bothered me too about uh, this is something that I always think about because movies, stories, books, they always have endings, right? But nothing in life actually it has an ending that wraps up. Yeah. Things just keep going on, right? So if we're I always like to do... I always like to do the thought experiment. <laughs> like even if even if individual people stop going on, uh, things just keep happening, right? Mm-hmm. Like things just keep happening. So I always like to do the thought experiment of like what happens after the ending of a movie. And the thing that bothered me about Avatar was the the obvious next step is that this company is going to come back in fuller force nuclear weapons, right? Like they're just going to be like, all we need is the shit that's underground. Yeah. So just nuke the surface. Let's just, let's just fucking take a, take a two year breather, stockpile a bunch of weapons. Cause they already were, you know, contracting, uh, these, these mercenaries and military forces and stuff. It stands to reason that they aren't above just using an insane destructive force to get the stuff they need. So, yeah, I don't know. Is it there an Avatar sequel being made now? I hope so. Who has their goddamn cell phone be... on? That says fucking phone on the other side of the room. Seth, God damn it. When we first started the podcast, I felt my pocket and I was like, oh, I guess I don't have my phone. That's good. It won't it won't interrupt the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, it's interrupting it and cannot be stopped. All right, let's yep. cut this whole chunk out. Nope, okay. it just is I'm what just gonna, it is. This is just part of the I'm experience. Seth just I'm ruined it for everybody. Great job, Seth. It was a new experience, and now we're all going to remember it, and our lives have been made longer. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, it li- it, yeah, making your life longer one day at a time with Seth's rigtone. Although you really... Mm-hmm. I think this is a good time to say, we've all got cell phones in our pockets, and the best thing you can do for your entire being as a human is to make it so that it can't tell you when it wants something. Mm-hmm. Just mute the fucker, turn every... 
And then just look at it every once in a while when you're ready to make decisions. You tell if you need to. it when you want something. Yeah, it's like le- it's like language again, right? It's a tool for you to use, not vice versa. Yeah, but versa. the problem is when you when you have people in your life who still use the phone to make calls. Um, just call them back you know, when you're ready. That. That's true. That's or just I tell do. them to stop it and then <laughs> revert to a fax machine. You guys ever have the thing when you send somebody a text message and then instead of responding to the text message, they call you? Yeah. What's that about? <laughs> That's a story for another time. Well, so I'm still honestly confused just about text messaging because, you know, it's really the worst of all possible systems. Just send me a goddamn right, guys, email. We're, <laughs> we're going to have to table this till tomorrow. <laughs> Keep your rage under control. Okay, okay fine. Uh, final announcement. We're going to be at Indie PopCon. We're actually going to be there. We got a hotel for real. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Uh, so come see us at Indie PopCon. Just Google it to look up the dates and times and get a ticket. We'll have some t-shirts and stuff as well there and maybe some posters. Who knows? It'll be a fun party. And other than that, this has been Coffee with Butterscotch. Thanks yeah! <laughs> Wait. All right. Normally it. somebody was supposed to say bye there and then that, none of that happened. <laughs> Seth <Seth's been> <laughs> <yielded>. yeah! <laughs> so it is what it is. We'll just right, we'll it see off. you guys next week. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. <laughs>